0: detective.
1: She'll rap. Sergeant <laughs> Detective. Context safety command. What's up? Co- context safety command. Delay that order. Context safety command. This is the captain. Context safety command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the
2: Klingons. The Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison.
0: I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, buddy? doing great uh today's could be called the greatest discussion <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah uh this is something uh I, I we're gonna do one of these for lower decks we didn't get an opportunity in the midst of our 23 weeks of new trek but uh it was very interesting to go back and rewatch all of season three of discovery uh on binge mode because i think that maybe more than the other two seasons, this was one I was wondering whether that would improve my experience of it or harm my experience of it.
0: Right, I think one thing is certain though, Uh, we watched it at a pace that no one told us to watch it at. You're not gonna tell (laughs) me to watch a show one episode per week at a time, no way. I'm gonna take it down in Two whole days, which is what I did. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you are such a you are such a cram for the tests guy, man. It's very funny. Like you're very you're very organized in many parts of your life, and one way you are consistently getting in trouble is going like, "Fuck, I have an entire thing." The rewatch part of that description, especially. Yeah, I,
0: I always seem to think I have more time for that than I do, but. Yeah. like so many things related to uh, watch a thing and talk about it, style podcasting. It takes the time that it takes. there's no <laughs> there's no doing yeah. it faster.
2: Maybe there should be a button to do like 1.5x, but for television. I mean, podcasters have had to endure the indignity of that button existing for time immemorial. Why not television producers? That would make me a
0: hypocrite, Ben. And uh, (laughs) you and I and everyone else know that uh, that's simply not the case.
2: One thing that immediately leapt out to me on returning to episode one was that this season has Michael Burnham barf bookends. Yes. Yes. She has a big barf right at the beginning of episode one and a big barf at the end of episode 13.
0: As a leitmotif, I can't think of a, a better one than vomit. <laughs> it's very striking.
2: Yeah. Uh, how did you feel overall about going back and re-watching season three? It does hit a lot different to,
0: to eat it all at once, I think. I don't know if it either benefits... Or hurts it in the process, though. I was expecting a kind of epiphany about it uh-huh. uh, after after doing it this way, and I really didn't have one. And I think I think in saying that, I don't think that's a positive thing. Yeah, like I think it should uh, engender a stronger feeling.
2: Yeah, I had a couple things that struck me in different ways the second time through, but none, nothing I would describe as like, I understand this season in a whole new way.
0: I just want to level set, like for the audience. I, I, I'm I dead inside about most things. So like <laughs> the the idea that I wouldn't feel a particular way after doing anything at all, like mm-hmm. that, that
2: pencils out, so. You, you're the guy that went to see The Sixth Sense and when, it, when the big twist was revealed at the end, you were like, yeah, so what? <laughs> Who cares? Uh, he was dead the whole time and so was I. <laughs> uh, the the biggest thing that I've, I felt like I saw in a different way this time through was the Stamets and Adira storyline. Oh, did that get better or, or not? It got a little bit better. I still think it's... A, I, I still miss Cranky Stamets. But I felt like there was more cranky stamets than I was giving the mm-hmm. show credit for in uh in our first watch through, and I also wondered because he starts this season in a coma, yeah, and I wondered if like trauma was part of why he his personality seemed different to us.
0: That's an interesting place to begin. I thought a lot about the specific wound that Stamets endured. And it was a reminder that that shrapnel wound was his chest right near his heart. Yeah. And in both the original watch and on the rewatch, I was really struck by how little I felt his life was in danger, even though we were meant to fairly explicitly feel that. Yeah, he always felt safe. I think because Culber was always around. There wasn't right. there wasn't the moment where he was alone, at the point of near death. Like if you'll remember, the moment where where he was injured, he was among a bunch of the bridge crew. He was right. tended to immediately by Colber.
1: I'm going to induce coma.
0: He was put into a coma quite intentionally, instead of falling into one. Right. And I don't think that that served the intention. Uh, that that the show was going for, which was to make the trauma a thing that was visited upon him instead of a kind of trauma that he almost chose in a weird way, like like right. like his recovery was was something that he agreed to with with his doctor, and it seemed to lessen that lessen the hurt that I think we were meant to see him endure.
2: Yeah, like we ended season two with like, oh man, like Stamets is is majorly fucked up Mm -hmm. and the like, he is out of the bio bed and into the fryer, like within presumably hours of that having happened, if not less than that amount Mm -hmm. of time. And then I guess doesn't really like follow through with the course of treatment (laughs) recommended, but he is like a cranky dude until like the end of episode three when he meets Adira. Right. He's cranky and stamets with people a bunch of times after that, too. It's just that with Adira, he is different.
0: This is a show that uh, doesn't shy away from placing its characters near death. And I felt the proximity to death with Owo far greater than I did with Stamets. And Stamets has given a couple of episodes to yeah. to
2: to walk with that. There is a... Culber log at the beginning of episode four where he's talking about you know everyone feeling adrift and disconnected and stuff and the way that's edited and the way it's presented feels very much pointed at the Kayla Detmer PTSD storyline and it also... I think that's also a thing that made me think about Stamets a little bit more. Like, I think that that feeling disconnected and adrift thing manifests in him in wanting to form a, like, familial-style connection with Adira. And I, I think that, like, they justify that plenty of times, but I just wish that I'd heard it from him, like, in a conversation with Hugh you know, the, while the they were brushing they, their teeth or something.
0: The closest they got to that point was when uh, Culber and Stamets are in bed and Stamitz tells Culber, like, I I see so much of of Adira's experience in mine. I want, yeah. Because Adira has just endured the loss of someone close to them. Like, I want to help them. Yeah. But But that is very different from... I want to be their family, and I right. and I want to and I want that to be a consensual thing.
2: Yeah, a scene where he proposes yeah. that uh, Dira would have would have gone a long way toward making that a thing. Also, I think um, so too. Yeah, another thing that hit me about like the whole season was how much it felt like it was about facing your fears. That is basically the storyline of episode four with Adira going to trill and facing their fears of like i mean it's a it's a repressed memory it's so it's so scary to Adira to remember the ship and gray and right all of that and that's very very similar to the kind of story that they tell about Sukal at the toward the end of the season
0: it's so interesting to go back to the beginning and rewatch Adira's storyline because i was I was scrutinizing all of the details that had to do with Adira being a part of the Earth Defense Force and why that would ever have happened. Right. During the rewatch, I'm not sure that 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 hung together any better because what we're given, especially in episode four, is the fact that Adira does not remember how they got the symbiont, only that they got it. Right. And it seems extremely far-fetched that Adira would have known that they were Trill, had the Symbiont, and would have joined the Earth Defense Force. And the Earth Defense Force wouldn't know that, the, like, you have to piss test to work in an office today. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't
2: tell me that the EDF, which... Are, like, so
0: hardline. <laughs> uh, the the Federation HQ st- scanned Discovery and knew Adira was aboard with the Symbiont. Inside them, you can't tell me that the EDF didn't also know that about them (laughs) and wouldn't scrutinize that in a way that would probably make Adira not a great choice for an away team of this kind. You really have to make that leap. But, but, But what they come so close to saying, Ben, is like, if we're made to understand that Adira had always wanted to visit Trill in order to solve this mystery about themselves, that makes a perfect argument for wanting to join the EDF on the chance that they would get on a ship in order to do what ends up happening this season but that's not there that's for us to sort of tie together right
2: yeah it made more sense to me in retrospect but I agree that like it could have been written in a way that that just made it a little bit bulletproof and right it wasn't Um, you know and and personally I like generation ships that don't get hit by asteroids (laughs) That, uh, hey, that scene still slaps, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, honestly, I think that some of the high points in this season are as high as Disco has gotten. Like,
0: do you think there's a instinctual reaction to looming shadow as threat of death because of the Looney Tunes cartoon and, like, the coyote <laughs> always being crushed
2: by the giant rock? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, I did think that it was uh, a little bit tasteless that when the sh- the rock hit the ship, Gray, as he shuffled loose with this mortal coil, held up a sign that said "Uncle." <laughs> <laughs> also, not a great time
0: for comedy, Adira, to like use a set of paints to draw the ankylosaur on on your tongue <laughs> <laughs> as Gray lays dying in front of
2: you. <laughs> Like it's a tunnel for it to go through. (laughs) Yeah, they paint they paint a rail tunnel on their tum and then put the (laughs) put the ankylosaur through it. (laughs) And then a dot twenty three tries to go through it and just you know bounces off the belly. Apart. (laughs) I thought reunification three and sanctuary were like. S tier disco episodes, and they come right back to back. Reunification three being the one where we go to Navarre and Sanctuary being the one where we go to Book's home planet. Uh-huh. Like those were great, like interesting stories, like fun, like fun and well told. Uh, really great special effects in Sanctuary that I like. That that planet with the with the sea locusts and the orbital defenses right above the treetops, and like the explosions hitting it when the when the uh, Emerald Chain starts bombarding the planet, yeah, like, so great and like I, like memorable. I keep thinking about it, and and I, I was I thought it was so fun to rewatch that stuff.
0: Unification Three was also the episode that I feel intentionally gets us off the path. Of what we think the burn is, because because we're given evidence in this episode that Navarre believes their SB nineteen experiment caused it, mm-hmm. when it was totally coincidental that Sukal's outburst happened at exactly or near the same time as their experiments did, right? And yet they're so they're so
2: sure. You would wish that the Vulcans wouldn't. Confuse correlation and causation.
0: I that's I completely agree with that, and that it seems like settled law about yeah. that moment, and that there's uh, so little curiosity about re adjudicating that. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make a ton of sense to me.
2: I think it works for me because I I I think it's like a a fragile young culture. It's it's. Romulans and Vulcans trying to share a civil society together, and that, like that, harmed their ability to cope with a crisis like the burn. I yeah. think, and i I kind of think that if the Roms hadn't moved in to Vulcan before the burn happened, this would have played super differently. Right. And I, I like, I, I really liked it as a way of going back and like th- thinking about the burn from different people's perspectives, different familiar faces perspectives. And
0: I mean, I can definitely get with a, a people or a culture that assumes the guilt over a thing that they didn't cause. Like <laughs> hell,
2: fucking yeah! Like, <laughs> like I stand with Navarre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the episode, that episode, also by far the most frustrating in terms of wanting to go down to the planet and not getting to. Yeah. There's so many planets I wanted to visit that we didn't get to, and vice versa. Like I was like on planets, I was like, I don't care about this one. Let's go somewhere else.
0: <laughs> that was the episode that gave back Gabrielle to us as a, as a character and one of I thought my favorite scenes of the series and not just the season was that moment where Gabrielle truly becomes, truly demonstrates co-op Melatonis to her daughter in that scene and yeah. how they do that publicly
2: especially
0: Why does anyone have any reason to trust you or the Federation?
2: Sinequa Martin-Green gives such great facial reactions all through this season and that scene in particular when she's being dressed down by the person that is supposed to be in her corner yeah. in front of the Tikal yeah. and So good. Yeah, it's really great. Another thing I thought was really great in retrospect was how they set up the Tilly being elevated to acting number one. Um, I, I felt like they did a really good job of showing Tilly kind of like taking care of business and getting shit done in engineering. And at times when Saru happened to be in the room, seeing Hmm. like how capable she was.
0: Like the, uh, the office comparison of, you know, always making sure you're not fucking off on the internet when the boss walks in. Like, she's, she's never doing that. She's always actually working on the spreadsheets. Tilly's
2: got a hot key that mm-hmm. puts Excel to the foreground instantly. Yeah. Yeah. She's
0: got command tab just fucking memorized.
2: Muscle memory <laughs> yeah. style. <laughs> yeah. It's always the next app in command tab for yeah. her. Um, but it, it, it's like, like we we joke but i feel like the um there is a heavy-handed way to do that and a subtle way to do that and i really appreciated the subtlety with which they they did that like it didn't feel like oh they are making tilly seem like she's going to get a huge promotion like even like i feel like there's some conversations like that with michael burnham that are much more heavy-handed like when mm-hmm. O is like you're you know you're full of stars and and you could be in charge one day mm-hmm. before she leaves um, it was like, oh, in retrospect, they told us Michael Burnham was going to be the captain like in season, in episode six or something. <laughs>
0: right, right. And it does, after seeing the whole thing play out, like Saru couldn't make the right decision there. Like that was part of his story. It was his yeah. inability to, to be a good captain and his actions needed to prove that. Selecting Tilly as XO was an example. And while Tilly... Conducted herself well for her inexperience or whatever. Like, let us not forget, yeah. Ben, uh, She, the discovery was taken over on her watch. <laughs> you know, I don't think she gets a pass for that.
2: No, I, I. she's such an interesting character because she is nervous and she's very capable and very good at what she does. But she also second guesses herself. And I think that anybody can see themselves in that. Yeah, Uh, unless unless they're, I don't know, (laughs) a total psycho or whatever. But uh, there's a special feeling when you second guess yourself and then you blow it.
0: Yeah, and Uh like
2: it's it's not it's not her fault that discovery gets taken over entirely, but the buck does stop with her. So yeah, like that's a that's a really heavy story to tell about that character, and I thought it was great that they did it in a way that doesn't like make us. You know, it makes like you continue to empathize with Tilly and continue to root for her despite that.
0: Really glad that the path they didn't take with her was make her mistakes, swallow her up. You know, like she could have she could have totally been destroyed by. What happened to her as captain? What what happened to her as XO? Like she could have been put in a situation where uh, she is unable to help retake the ship because of her guilt, because yeah. of uh, because of all the death that she saw around her after that moment. Like she, right. the moment of greatest growth for her wasn't when she initially got the promotion. It was that she maintained and kept moving yeah. forward and kept trying her best.
2: Would you say that that was her moment of greatest discovery?
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe it was.
2: <laughs> um, I wondered because I think Riker says "engage" when he is when he has the con. Does do when you're number one and the captain is not on the bridge? Do you use your captain's catchphrase? Does uh, does number one on the uh, disco era entrepreneur? say, punch it when Pike is not on the bridge? That's a great
0: question, because I think it's that thing that we learn about in Crimson Tide, right? The uh, the continuity of commands is such yeah. that the captain says something, the, and then the exo says something almost immediately after, and then everyone goes to work for a variety of reasons that, that are obvious, uh, especially right. during a crisis situation. I think that means that the answer is the whoever has the con in the absence of their captain should probably say the same thing so that there's right. continuity of understanding. You don't want Kayla Detmer
2: sitting there going like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you don't want that split second of, of wondering... Does that mean go? Uh, The
0: split second of wondering is enough time for uh, Osira to beam onto your ship, because that's how fast (laughs) personal transporters
2: work. Yeah, they got somebody in the spork box in that moment. It made me wonder if we should try to workshop what Saru's catchphrase could have been. Yeah. I wrote down boom shakalaka. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe takes too long to get out. Do
0: you need... Saru to do such a bad job with his catchphrase to make Michael Burnham's eventual unveiling of her own catchphrase better because I think it stands up great on its own without yeah. the comparison but the comparison right. is something the show is encouraging you to make <laughs> yeah.
2: which is kind of a disservice to Saru's character what if it was just go I feel like Saru could really deliver a go yeah I like that too
0: Whatever he says, he should uh, keep his hands and specifically his
2: fingers out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep keep a thumb on the bean so that they don't <laughs> come up up into frame. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what, Ben? Speaking of framing, uh, one thing I wanted to make sure we discussed was uh, in March, Saniquea Martin Green uh, announced that she was pregnant. This this is an announcement that was made after shooting had wrapped for this season. Right. And uh, I don't want to litigate the timeline about this because like, this is her personal thing. But as it relates to the show itself, uh, knowing this during the rewatch, I thought it was interesting just how many uh, medium and medium close shots there were of... Michael Burnham throughout this season in a way hey, that was noticeable to me.
2: I wish I'd known that uh, I I had not heard that uh, that she was pregnant. And uh, I mean, congratulations if she's listening. Uh, that's great.
0: But she <laughs> uh, she kicked a ton of ass physically. I know that's a season. very
2: physical last couple of episodes, and right. I I'm sure that they shot the last couple of episodes last. <laughs>
0: Maximum respect to Sonequa yeah. Martin-Green for that and, and so many other things.
2: Really, really uh, amazing. Very interesting. Um, I was uh, I was sad to read this morning uh, in the news that she is not, in fact, going to be the captain of the ship in season four because they made kind of a game-time decision to cast Bernie sitting with cross-legged <laughs> in a folding chair as uh, the captain in season four. <laughs> I, who knows if that will be a zeitgeisty by yeah. the time season four starts airing uh, but uh, you know I, I applaud them for trying. Why doesn't
0: all bridge crew personnel get to command chair? All of them deserve command
2: chairs from from the exO down to the lowliest lieutenant: 100 percent of the beans are on this chair and they should be distributed among all the chairs. <laughs> Why does the Federation control the only dilithium planet? Saru's fingers are disgusting.
0: I would encourage him to wear wool mittens made by made from recycled materials only.
2: What did you th- What did you think retrospectively about the big uh, the big jug handle of storyline that we got to get us over to the mirror universe and writing Giorgio off the show? I mean. I was
0: able to recognize this time like the elegance of both Mug and Saru having gone through their own personal vaharai. Like this was, this was Giorgio's version of that. and I could appreciate it a little more uh, looking at it through that lens. But one question I had, like like part of her process, like when she's finally out of this story and back into her time and she's talking to the Guardian of Forever and Michael Burnham about her journey, she makes a big deal about- Guardian my- of Forever? Oh,
2: sorry, I, I got confused. I know him as Carl. He's, right. he's a close friend.
0: Yeah, he's not that close to me, which is why I referred to him <laughs> by his title. Yeah. She made a big deal about how- how much she regretted killing uh Mub over there?
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and I wonder if that would have hit differently if like did that matter that hmm. she that she killed her again and felt bad about it it that her story unfolded so similarly as it did before. Yeah, I don't know. I was expecting her epiphany to come not from the repetition, but instead by by something a little more differently presented, and a situation that was far different than than she had previously been through. That maybe had to do with uh, with the guy that she screams about in her visions
2: over and over again, son. That's a big thread that I felt like either they couldn't wrap up or they were setting up for the new Giorgio series yeah it's probably that that the latter of those but it, it kind of feels a little bit to me like uh Star Wars colon rogue one mm. where this is a story we've heard kind of told second secondhand or as a memory a couple of times or we've had we've had bits and pieces of that story and mm-hmm. this is her going back and reliving it Uh, on screen for us and we we don't have any reason to believe that that's the same universe that she's going to go back to when she goes through the portal the second time and
0: right i I scrutinized this part so much she's going back in time to where the mirror and prime universes are more closely aligned right before diverging in the way that they have for the past 900 years
2: because that show is about her being in section 31, right? That's my understanding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But again, and I turn to the camera to say this, we can't trust anything the Star Trek Industrial <laughs> Complex says about a series they're about to drop because That's true. They've uh, told they've told blatant falsehoods in the past. Right. Um, I would suggest that you don't attend their press conferences. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, we don't, but that's more because we're not invited. <laughs> right. I paid a little bit more close attention to her visions that she had when she went into her fugue states. And it seemed to me that it was just kind of random mirror universe imagery, more so than trying to tell a specific story. Like the, the stuff of Lorca falling into the star, I missed the first time. You told me about that on an episode. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised to hear it because I was like, what does that mean? Like, what does that have to do with it? Right. And boy, I really hope they like. I, who knows how that show's going to go? But if they could bring Mirror Universe, or, or no, it's it's Prime Universe. Jason Isaacs that's missing, right? Right. At the end of uh, of that season of Disco, right? Because they switched spots. They never they never found him. So if he wound up in thirty one, also, that would be really fun.
0: I mean. uh Guardian of Forever talks about the universe's alignment to each other in the place that Mug goes back to, but he doesn't state which one she goes to. Right. And
2: isn't the kind of character that would.
0: Right. So I think uh, it'll be very surprising either way to see if she wakes up in either Prime or Mirror Universe.
2: Yeah. There was so much Lorca talk in those couple of episodes that I will feel really I will feel away if they don't <laughs> if they don't address that in that show. This show is
0: hooked on the sweet, sweet mirror universe, and I would be shocked if if Mug didn't go back to the mirror universe as a wow. place to start her show. Maybe yeah. Section 31 in the mirror universe are the good guys, Ben.
2: <laughs> a force what? for good no <laughs> They they you know they're aligned with the the Terran Empire but they do things that are much better than what the Terran Empire would do in secret.
0: They would the Terran Empire would never do things this kind.
2: Yeah, they're like uh providing food aid to starving planets and stuff and they're like, "Whoa.
0: Killy gets a birthday card from Section 31? Like only they would do this to me." <laughs>
2: I was uh i was noticing how uh everybody in the mirror universe almost everybody in the mirror universe has extremely flat ironed hair mm-hmm. and and captain Kelly is is like the signature example of this but i i just feel like the like the mirror universe is really has really got an aesthetic in terms of hair looks
0: yeah no kidding Yeah, one of the dark stories of the Mirror Universe is their eugenics project that only (laughs) seek to create straight-haired people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's not good.
1: There are things I didn't willingly share.
2: There were some opportunities for comedy that I feel like were missed in this uh, season. One, Uh, I think we talked about a little bit, but the idea of Culber treating the Keeley... When they get to Federation HQ and they get the mm-hmm. they get the the seed vault ship cure for for the Keeley. yeah, like he's got to look like a doctor with a leather cone over his <laughs> nose during the plague to those people. <laughs>
0: you know? I love how much more we get of Culber this season, but I would have preferred his story to be more credible in scenes like
2: this. You know, yeah they got three weeks to refit the disco to the disco a and there's some brief mention made of retraining and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And I, I wish, I wish we'd gotten a montage or something. Like I wish we'd seen more of that. I wish we knew what it meant because like Culber and Dr. Pollard are doing medicine at the advanced like level of this modern era which i like it's plausible to me like i think that a lot of what a doctor learns yeah. in medical school is about like how to like where to look for information on the diagnosis you're trying to make and then information on the cure you're trying to like prescribe i, I like i know that that's like insanely reductive but i i don't i don't think it's it, it strange credulity for me that they could retrain in 3 weeks but i just wish and it had felt like they'd had three weeks.
0: I think it would help support the the feeling of wonder about living in a far distant future that the show tries so hard to project. Like if we don't, if we don't see the advancement through people advancing, yeah, and instead we're just picking them up and placing them in advancement, like that yeah. is especially where it's. Where it's related to medicine, I think that could have been a really cool scene, and it only needs to be one scene or, or yeah. a scene that's referred to, like the that scene in the fourth Star Trek movie, uh, where Doctor McCoy is is calling, you know, modern medical practitioners barbarians, basically. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love like, that scene. Could be could be, like, played in reverse in such an interesting way, in a way that helps us learn about how...
2: It's got to be exciting, right? Like, yeah. like Culper to be like, oh, man, we can, like, rebuild the spleen on the molecular level? God, what we used to do was barbaric by comparison.
0: Right, right.
2: I think Detmer is the only character that we really get a deep dive in what that feels like, and it's because she is kind of resistant to the new shit. She doesn't like the new interface. She doesn't like feeling disconnected from the ship in the way that it makes her feel disconnected.
0: My VCR works just fine. Now why would I need a <laughs> DVD player? <laughs>
2: yeah. And, and that, that whole Detmer storyline, uh, worked great for me the second time through. I, I, uh, I, I liked it just as much on the rewatch.
0: She gets a scene in the mirror universe where you, where she's out of her, uh, appliance. And it made me think about if, as a part of her processing her trauma, if she is a character ever considered, you know, using the advances in modern medical technology to, to remove it. Yeah. You know? Right. Because she's someone, like part of her story is quite intentionally about confronting trauma and getting past it, like as a, as a process.
2: Which was a huge theme this season.
0: Yeah, and that seems like a very visual way to uh, to articulate that. Yeah, that's a great point. She's such a badass. Yeah, I, I like her character, and I like uh, I like the actor who plays her. Pretty fun. I
2: really hope that they spend more time telling us stories about the bridge crew in uh, in season four.
0: Hey, uh, pop quiz, hotshot! Uh, which one? <laughs> Which one is Reese and which one is Bryce?
2: Uh, I th- I think uh, Bryce is the comms guy and Reese is the tactics guy.
0: Uh, we may never know, Ben. I can't find <laughs> the answer to that question anywhere. <laughs> I've been digging through memory alpha.
2: No idea. <laughs> no entries on those characters. Yeah. They're yeah, like, would, who? <laughs>
0: would someone please make an entry about them? Because we want to know more about them. <laughs>
2: We should make those entries and just write, like, really deep fan fiction about them. Like, like really develop their backstories and then see if any of that works its way into the show.
0: They've got to be... The actors who play those characters have to be psyched about the Mirror Universe episodes because those are the ones where they get a lot to do. Like, really scene-chewy moments for them that yeah. uh, that they really appear to relish.
2: It was very fun to that they brought back um, Arium for that stuff like i like that the show is willing to to do those things
0: for as much as we made about you know so many stories being about michael burnham in proximity to the problem and the solution that anyone is having i think Mm -hmm. the rewatch made me recognize a little more that for how much that's true uh, the main stories like the A stories of most episodes this season really are about Saru and Giorgio and Stamets and
2: Adira, you know? Interesting. Yeah. That's true. Um yeah, I would say that the m- primary episode that I wonder if it would have worked better with Michael Burnham less in it was a uh, Forget-Me-Not when they go to Trill. Yeah. I thought I thought that like it's it's a little early to be quite where it goes with Stamets and Adira, but I kinda of thought a a rework of that with Stamets going into the milk bath with Adira maybe would have helped that storyline along a little bit. Um, like I don't I don't know if he could have like kicked the butts of the spear toten trill guards uh, yeah. quite as easily as Michael Burnham did. <laughs> that would have been amazing to see. Have we seen Stamets get in a Star Trek fight? I kind of don't think we have. That's not really his way. Yeah, like recast the character
0: instead of Michael Burnham on that mission. Stamets yeah. is an interesting possibility.
2: Culber would have been interesting.
0: Owo can hold her breath underwater forever. Like,
2: why Why is Owo face down in the water? <laughs> <laughs> she have been like that for five minutes. We're starting to get worried. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great way to just plant the the OO yeah. breath holding prowess way earlier in the season, so she didn't have to say it out loud <laughs> in would the last have been awesome episode. Because we
0: saw it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
2: A big, big question I had rewatching is: I wondered a lot about how they decided on the timeline have, having them meet 125 years out from when the burn happened because mm-hmm. it it makes a lot of this weird to me like sukal is in his 130s when they meet him mm-hmm. because he's like a kid when when he did it we also meet a super old kelpian
0: yeah how and old is that guy if, that if guy- sukal is 150 and he looks the way he does
2: yeah, so like Kelpians I guess we can just presume live super long if they make it through Vahari, but Vahari was supposed to be like you you you've you got like 30 years or something and then and then you do Vahari and you're out, right? I feel like
0: Saru is going to be president of the federation or or a high-ranking admiral eventually just because of how much time he's got on the clock.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. He's going to be he's going to be the chief justice of the Federation Supreme Court because they know that he'll be he'll sit there for a long time and, and have a lot of influence over the way cases go. The,
0: we need to introduce term limits to all things <laughs> as soon as we meet alien races that live longer than us. That's probably going yeah. to be the only thing that that changes that rule.
2: So Kelpians live super long, but does everyone right like mm-hmm. Zara talks about how the the burn was good for him. So he is presumably lived long enough to know life before and after.
0: Oh, my. How old is everyone is a great question to Has ask. Has right Osira
2: now. been in power this entire time? And it's like it's plausible to me, right? Because yeah. it's a it's it's in the future of Star Trek. So like anti-aging, like like medical sciences. Extrapolating
0: how much longer human beings live than we did even 100 years ago would would. Stand to reason that in another 900 years, uh, that would change quite a bit.
2: I wondered if the writers in retrospect wish they could have tweaked that number, like done some pickups and changed it to a shorter amount of time. Hmm. Or if they wished they'd put some stuff in about characters going like, wow, like humans are living like 200, 250 years easy in this time period. But also you can't get anywhere. So they're stuck.
0: Like the crew is grieving the deaths of their, of the up branches of their family tree when yeah. there's a possibility that one <laughs> or several of them may still be alive.
2: I know. Yeah. They, they all assume Adira is 16, but they're in fact like 82. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, Adira was still born after the burn, but they've been alive a long ass time. <laughs>
0: One character I grew to appreciate more this time than the first run through was Osira. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed Janet Kidder's performance quite a bit. Uh, She brings a fun physicality to a character I didn't think of physically the first time through. It's not just about like expression, but like so much of her deal is posture. And yeah. what she does with her hands, and this is something that I've always noticed when I watch TV at the at the repetition that we do. But like I thought, I thought she did great. And depending on who she was standing or sitting across from, uh, you really get to appreciate those choices that she makes.
2: Yeah, I was looking her up when uh, I was doing my rewatch and discovered that she is the niece of Margot Kidder, right. who was uh, from Superman's Superman. girlfriend. Yeah.
1: Let me make this one really easy for you
0: why you know what other actor uh i think of in the same way was uh was the guy who plays rin noah averback katz uh huh like he's a he's a really great posture expression where are my hands actor and totally. i think and i think when you're wearing a facial prosthetic like he was that's what you got
2: you you've got you've you've got to get a lot more across in your in your physicality, for sure.
0: Especially those scenes in the scrapyard and stuff. Like, like looking as beaten as he does is so much more than an expression. It's it's in every possible way you carry yourself, and yeah, you really with with very little dialogue, you get a great understanding of what that guy's been through.
2: He, he was a real fun recurring character. I was a little sad that they killed him off because I feel like he could be a, a pretty interesting addition to the crew.
0: Did you have a good grasp of how those guns worked? Like the most popular gun this season was that kind of shotgun-looking format.
2: Yeah, of, it of the kind weapon kind of hinges at the handle,
0: and it kind of does so many different things, right? Because Michael Burnham kind of charges it up by clacking it uh, in order mm-hmm. to shoot that guard in the uh, in the computer. Uh, area of the ship and then right. there's clearly a version of it that only stuns because that was the version of it that was used uh, to shoot a bunch of the uh, a
2: bunch of the guards earlier. and then there's the like charcoal ray version that we see in the colony where yeah. that guy gets his chest cooked and then they shoot mirror universe Giorgio with it and she's like that was great do it again
0: so many of the props on on the show are so fully developed and thoughtful That, like, there is very clearly a lightness to this weapon in carrying it and winging it around that I know they thought a lot about because this is the future. Shouldn't it be super light? But also, there's something less threatening about a weapon that you could could pick up 10 of in a pile. (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, because if you need to bludgeon someone with it, you want it to have a little oomph to it
0: and that is something that this weapon does quite a bit and it doesn't seem to hit as hard in those scenes because you know it's so light to carry Mm -hmm. yeah ben did that materialize inside the uh the programmable matter when when michael burnham is pushed into that part of the computer core into the programmable matter i'm almost positive she goes in without a weapon but then, does she manifest that out of the matter that she's oh. submerged in? Man, because it's shot in medium close-up, you don't see what she may or may not be holding.
2: Yeah. So, Michael Burnham does have that have that gun. Osira kind of uses uses the gun and a hand around Michael Burnham's neck to push her into the oh. into the programmable matter.
0: You can't do that, Osira. You gotta. Yeah. You gotta take the yeah. weapon.
2: I mean, you can use it to push, but then like keep a hand on the weapon before you lose track of it, you know, pull that back out.
0: The weapon should have shot programmable matter because the programmable matter goes into Michael Burnham's mouth. That's that's what she barfs out after. But what's going up the barrel of that weapon then?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Does it damage the programmable matter that she shot through it the way she did, you know? Yeah, they cut to the wide shot
0: and boom. This last episode of the season is uh, as breathlessly paced as any other uh, that we've seen in the entire series. But I thought in this rewatch, the simultaneity of escaping Federation HQ and interrogating Book at the exact same time that Osiris <laughs> is doing is yeah. like... In, in real time, extremely far-fetched and nicely yeah. obscured because of all the action taking place.
2: As a person who's spent the last couple of weeks doing a lot of trying to do two or three things at the same time yeah. and failing to bring my best self to those things, yeah. uh, <laughs> I was like, how, how are you doing all of this, Osira? You're, you're doing too much. Right. Step yeah. it back. <laughs> yeah. One, one impossible
0: thing at a time. I
2: just—I I say this as a friend, Osira. I want what's best for you, and I think that you're doing too much, and you need to calm down.
0: That scene where Owo blows the nacelle, and they and they crash out of warp. Mm-hmm. I love the—that's what's
2: called a blowo.
0: I love the effect. I love how it looks. I love this. Yeah. I love all the shots of them in the in the warp field like at warp. I think that's like being chased by the Navarre fleet. All that's cool. But that should have turned them into cat food, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like like blowing out a tire on a freeway seems more dangerous than than losing a nacelle at warp.
2: If somebody could have come to and said, like, "Wow, that's one hell of an inertial damper."
0: yeah, yeah, that would yeah. have been
2: great, you know, like turn it into comedy like I think that I think this show maybe it's because season one especially was such a kind of dark and gritty tone, mm-hmm. and I think they've lightened up a lot since then, but i I think that they could write a couple of jokes in, and it would be fun like the the stuff with grudge is is jokey and fun, like the the light motif of book calling her a queen." fun yeah not quite a joke
0: i think if anything about my relationship to the show and my feelings about it have changed after season three it's really that i'm approaching it as a fun and entertaining uh piece of of star trek media yeah and i think the show is telling me to view it that way in a season like this unlike the first couple of seasons that you've described the way that you have like being very self-serious and very intentionally dark invites mm. a kind of serious scrutiny to the thing that that I think any television show would have a hard time standing up to yeah and I think the more that they do the more that they fuck around in the margins of fun and self-aware I think would let a lot of the pressure off uh in that kind of judgment like i want fun and entertaining is what it should be everything else should be sugar you know
2: yeah i mean i think it was a smart move for them to start the season with an episode where michael burnham gets to run around high off her ass on truth serum you know totally that does level set what we're what we're gonna get yeah um I'm just saying lean into it a little bit more. If you ask me more bits. (laughs) I feel like that's, that's a a big conversation we just had about season three. And we're going to of course be back with an awards show designed to give special citations to all of the great and not so great things about season three. But, um, I think that the top level question before uh, before we get it much further into the episode, Adam, is did you like season three? I did like
0: season three. Uh, I think I liked it more having rewatched it just now than I did on the first pass.
2: Wow. I think that that's a testament to it because you watched so much of it in two days also. Like that can really breed resentment. Yeah. Me. Like if I feel like I have to watch something, even if it's something I, I like and want to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. Uh, I, I'm i ready for a nice long break from watching Star Trek Discovery, as I think anyone would be <laughs> after after mainlining it the way yeah. that we have for so many weeks.
2: We've each watched each episode three times since they've come out.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's a strong show that... I think what anyone wants when they watch a show is something that they want more of by the end, and yeah. that is a feeling that I continue to have about this and all the rest of the new Star Trek properties. Like, I want to keep going, don't stop now, yeah. and I'm don't stop now. And I'm glad that we're staying in the future uh, for a while because, lordy, there are so many unanswered questions about. Uh, about people and circumstances that happened during season 3 that uh that I'm not ready to just knock season 3 for allowing to go unanswered like there's a there's there are more stories able to be told in future seasons and I'm not going to just assume that these are mistakes that haven't been thought of as we construct these these characters and these storylines so uh, yeah. I'm hopeful that a lot of our questions will be answered. I'm fine with a lot of them not being answered, but I think, I think this is a, I think this is a good show. This is a good Star Trek show and it was a good Star Trek season.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure where I would put it in my like overall power rankings, uh, against seasons one and two, but. I felt like the highs in this season were as high as this show gets, but also like the, the lows felt about as low as this show has gotten, which is not super low. Like I'm not, I, I, I like, I think that discovery has like been very unfairly maligned by certain sectors of the fan community. I think like technically and visually and from a performance standpoint and from a story standpoint, it's, like one of the strongest Star Trek series ever three seasons in. But I do think that like when they slipped up this season, they, uh, they slipped up kind of bigger than, than average. And um, I I have to think that that has more to do with the circumstances of finishing and releasing the series when they did uh, rather than, you know, some, loss of capability by the team of people that make it because they are great and they've given us some great adventures and the, uh, you know, the good stuff wouldn't be as good as it was if they weren't really good at what they do. it's so hard to make television that's at this level.
0: This is kind of a spooky question, but do you think that they're changing the show? Uh, as time goes on because I could swear there were Additional lines of dialogue that I heard during this most recent recent rewatch that oh, I don't wow. remember hearing the first couple of times through like there were huh. I'm not saying entire scenes I feel like there was ADR or something happening sprinkled just a tiny bit throughout that that made this rewatch experience feel Newer yeah. than I was expecting, and I wonder, uh, I wonder if they do that. Someone would have noticed. I wouldn't be
2: surprised either way. Yeah, the there was one scene that really stuck, stood out to me uh, to that end between Osira and her nephew mm-hmm. on the rusty slavery planet that I noticed. Uh, it it stood out to me because I was. Noticing that like almost never when Osiris was speaking was she, the one on camera was always like him reacting and then her reacting right? and then cut to a very wide shot where somebody walks behind a piece of equipment and says something. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like like they shot this knowing that they may have to change a lot about it in post. So they give themselves a lot of options for how to do that. And I think that that has got to be how you roll when you're making a like big story threaded season of television. Like you have to give yourself the ability to tweak stuff as, as the vision of, of what the season is going to look like starts to take shape. Cause you know, you can't, you can't hammer these things out all in the script. It's impossible. Like you have to like get it up on its feet and see what it looks like.
0: One of the thrilling parts of modern television is just seeing how much coverage a show can, can get and use yeah. because that is a th- that's a thing that as smaller time uh, video and film producers like us, like you just never have enough of. You're always compromised in that way. And yep. to see a show, know they have it and be able to use it. It's great. It's a great power to have.
2: Well, another great power to have is the ability to send priority one messages to Star Trek podcasters. Or to people who listen to Star Trek podcasters. Do you want to see if we have any P1s in the inbox, Adam? Yeah, I'm going to head over there now.
1: Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel.
2: Our first message here is of a personal nature. It's from Joe, and it's to Shelby. goes like this. It's January 1, 2021, and my feelings can be stifled no longer. Let's kick the shit out of this year make a baby and show baby Riker all the things we love in life together P.S. I tried to write this message to the tune of Piano Man and asked them to sing it to you but it just didn't, plan, it just didn't pan out I love you as much as you love Billy Joel. That sounds like a lot Joe and Shelby are gonna make a baby assuming Shelby is as into the idea as Joe <laughs> appears to be.
0: <laughs> Let's hope they're in agreement on that
2: yeah that's something that's something you want to be aligned on uh wow that's that's great i i hope you guys do kick the shit out of 2021
0: i hope we all do
2: yeah i uh we deserve a kick-ass year
0: i was watching an episode of the Hauser program where he he takes a tour of a factory that makes prison toilets <laughs> <laughs> and he was so yes he, he was so excited and joyful and curious about confronting every little object, every little process, every person involved. That I was like yeah. that's how I want to go into 2021. Yeah. Like with that kind of vibe. With the
2: wonderment of a Huhlhauser.
0: With the wonderment of a Huhlhauser visiting a prison toilet factory. <laughs> Let's all hope that that we can we can view our own personal prison toilet factory. With a yeah. little more little more grace and positivity. Yeah. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Curtis. It is to Adam, Ben, and Rob's, and the message goes like this. Hey, guys. Longtime viewer of the Uxbridge Shimoda family of shows. Every time I try to do a podcast-related bit, it goes catastrophically wrong. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try. I'm just glad I could book a P1 message to support your show. And that's, spelled, <laughs> that's spelled in a way that we love based on yeah. uh, a classic character from this season
2: <laughs> we, we barely got to get into yore yeah maybe uh maybe that new George show will be about the temporal cold war and we'll get to meet yore spend some time with him before he dies his painful painful death
0: thanks and keep up the good work says curtis thanks curtis we're gonna
2: thank you curtis um Curtis, you're a great listener, and we really appreciate you. (laughs) Well done.
0: Uh, Thanks to Curtis and Joe and uh, everyone else who's sent us a priority one message. You can do the same by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. We appreciate it.
2: I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to FactorMeals.com/trek50 and use code Trek50 to get fifty percent off. That's code Trek50 at FactorMeals.com/trek50 to get fifty percent off. What
0: do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me, I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of play-doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the Spring Cleaning Champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin safe blade heads. A standard one for taking a little bit off the top. and A new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear. But it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing
1: like a little spring cleaning in your pants.
2: Back for another game.
1: topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast secretly incredibly fascinating find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app
2: and at maximumfun.org
0: hey ben what's that adam did you discover yourself a star trek discovery season three edward larkin
2: You're the Edward Larkin for season
0: three. God, I, like, speaking of, like, Looney Tunes cartoons, I just, uh, I just (laughs) zoinks and await myself right into the your bit again. (laughs) How about you? I'm going to make Paul Stamets my Edward Larkin because, I mean, thinking of the qualities of an Edward Larkin, they uh, they feel more and more familiar to me when I think of of Paul Stamets this episode. He's a guy that just bursts into scenes asking <laughs> asking people to obey him and and believe that his priorities should be everyone's.
2: Yeah. Uh, he is a character that gets like almost the least dignity of anyone this season. like he is humiliated over and over again.
0: When Anthony Rapp says my whole life is in that nebula, that should be a low point for the series and the show because it shouldn't work. I think we've said it before, Anthony Rapp, uh, by being Anthony Rapp, brings a lot to a character that has not had a good season, I would say.
2: Yeah. Well, he actually, uh, that was a, an ad lib on set. I actually, there was a, some IMDB trivia about this. He originally as scripted, he was supposed to say, I left a cup of coffee in that nebula. Great. So they changed it. They let him change it. That's the kind of prerogative he has. That's, as an actor. that's
0: power. Good for him. <laughs> Strong actors union. <laughs> When you're when you're part yeah. of the Broadway Actors Union and the uh, Screen Actors Guild and all the rest like you can you can do that
2: yeah you can, you can write your own lines on set so we are gonna be back next week with the the Larkin Awards for Star Trek Discovery season 3 uh, looking forward to that in a big way um, yeah, the me too. uh the people at PricewaterhouseCoopers are already tabulating the votes uh, for all the FYC categories. Many of our favorite characters are getting fitted for uh, their formal wear. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, Everyone uh, wants to know what Kevin Uxbridge is wearing. Yeah, like uh, like who Kevin Uxbridge is wearing, more specifically, you know. <laughs> I'm wearing the skin of the Hooshnack. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Buffalo Kevin.
0: Uh, We want to thank Rob Schulte for a great season of producing the greatest discovery, and uh, looking forward to bringing you some super fun off-season episodes here in the feed before uh, coming back for whatever is next in new Star Trek.
2: Yeah, which uh, we don't even we don't know nothing. We're gonna be as as surprised as all of you are.
0: Looking forward to the good kind of surprises.
2: Yeah, take it away,
1: Rob. The Greatest Discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. This podcast is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Thanks for another great season. Don't forget that The Greatest Discovery's theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who has an amazing cooking channel that you should check out on YouTube. And remember, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly. We thank you, Bill. If you'd like to support the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you left us a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice or head to maximumfundorg join. And for as little as $5 a month, you'll gain access to a bunch of bonus content, including some stuff your hosts Adam and Ben have reviewed. It's a whole lot of fun. Check it out. See you next week on The Greatest Discovery. Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.